Romans chapter 14, I'm going to read the whole chapter to you because that's what we're going to cover. There's no way you can really do chapter 14 justice unless you cover it as a whole. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now whoever serves thus, or serves, thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, there's a lot that we're going to cover tonight. And I'm going to ask that you be ready to stay with me here because we've got a lot of things to kind of clarify, especially when we start talking about eating and drinking and food offered idols and so on. There's a couple things we need to make clear before we break these verses down. This passage is dealing with things that are not clearly described in Scripture as sin. The opinions that we seek. Look again at verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Another translation might be accept him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Some translations call it disputable matters. When What we're going to be talking about tonight is the areas of the Bible when it comes to walking in Walk in fellowship with the Lord and in obedience to the Lord and being led of the Spirit. 
the ways in which we live out that walking in the Spirit may be different, but there's going to be areas that the Bible doesn't clearly say is sin. What I want you to hear clearly is this. What the Bible says is sin is still sin. There may be those who would try to take chapter 14 of Romans and say, well, for you, that's a sin. But for me, it's not. I'm free in Christ. Well, no, if the Bible says it's a sin, it's still a sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? But there are other aspects of the Christian life that the Bible doesn't clearly say is right or wrong. But some people feel certain things are wrong and others say, well, I think it's okay," And the Bible doesn't talk about it. We're going to be talking about those types of things. And that'll become a lot more clear as we go a little bit further. But again, the opinions or disputable matters are not what the Bible calls sin. What the Bible calls sin is sin. But there's another thing as well here. Um, well, let me just add this as well. Paul is discussing here the fact that individual responses to their new freedom in Christ and their comfortableness with breaking free from their old way of religion, whether or not it's Judaism or paganism. Let me explain. See, the Jews had been raised to follow the law. And now Paul was teaching that we're not under the law anymore, but under grace. Go back to chapter 7 and look at verse 6 of Romans. Let me remind you. In chapter 7, look at verse 6. It says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, this change of living for some Jews was a process, and some matured in it faster than others. You'll see in the New Testament that there was this journey that the Jews were going through as they were moving into what it meant to walk in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so you would see that there's the party of the circumcision or the, the Sadducees party, you know, I mean, sorry, the Pharisees party and then all that kind of stuff. They, were, they, were, they had become Christians, but they were still trying to bring their old way of life into their Christendom, if you will. And they were having trouble getting free from the old way. You remember how in Acts chapter 15, after uh, some Gentiles become saved. And, and it talks about how in chapter 13, there was a church in Antioch, mostly made up of Gentiles. And some people from the Jerusalem church sent some people down to the Gentile church in Antioch. And they said, they have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. And that became a problem that the early church had to deal with. And when they all got together in the big church council in chapter 15, there was a group in that church who stood up and said, we think they still need to follow the law. So there were Jews who had been raised to follow the law, and now they're moving into this freedom in Christ, and they were having trouble. And it was a process. As you're going to see later on, even Peter struggled with this a little bit. What does it really mean to walk in the new way of the Spirit versus the old way of the written code? And keep in mind, as we learn to walk in the freedom that we have in Christ, we're all going to be getting there at different rates and different times. And because of our childhood, because of our upbringing, because of how we were raised, it's going to affect us in different ways. Now, at the same time, the Gentile converts to Christ had moved from pagan worship practices into following Jesus. And many still saw anything that even looked like the old way of life as sin. And they're moving into freedom. In their moving into freedom they had, uh, that they had in Christ, it was a process for them as well. And some grew in it faster than others. You see, they had come out of paganism. And, well, we even deal with that today a little bit, don't we? Where some people say, you can't celebrate Christmas. 
that's a pagan, that comes from a pagan holiday. And, and there were Gentile believers who, as they were being taught their new freedom in Christ, had a hard time with, but they're eating meat that's sacrificed to idols. Let me, let me clarify that for you before we start diving into this to help you out. Have any of you ever been to another country where they don't have Walmarts and Publixes, but their markets, where you buy your food is an open marketplace? You know what I'm talking about? I've been to a few of those, and the only way you know what kind of meat you're eating is the head is right next to it. You know what I'm saying? And the flies, they're there as well. Well, back in that day, as you'd go to the market to buy your meat, you had some meat that hadn't been cooked yet, and you had other meat that had already been cooked. Well, the reason it was already cooked is it had been offered and sacrificed to their idols. And then when they were done offering it and sacrificed to their idols, they'd bring it to the marketplace and sell it. Well, it was cheaper than the meat that hadn't been cooked. And being good Walmart shoppers, a lot of Christians were like, it's already cooked and it's cheaper. I'm going to buy that meat. Others were like, you can't eat that. That was offered to an idol. But as you're going to see, there were those who were stronger in their faith who were like, so what? What I eat doesn't make me unclean. But some people felt like it did. And so because of those types of things, there were starting to be some issues in the church. That's why Paul uses these two terms that we're going to see tonight to describe these individuals in this process of growing into the freedom that we have in Christ. The strong were those who were further along, but that doesn't mean that they were handling it correctly. And they're the weak who were still maturing in some of these areas. Now, since there were some opinions, if you will, or a difference of opinion on these issues, the stronger believers who had more freedom in Christ, felt like they had more freedom, they had a tendency, though, to ridicule or to mock or belittle their weaker brothers and sisters. And the weaker believers tended to judge or condemn their stronger brothers and sisters. Go back to chapter 14. Look again in verses 1, 2, 1, 2 and 3. As for the one who is weak in faith, and this is the one who's not as far along yet, Welcome him or accept him, but don't not to quarrel over opinions or, or disputable matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person, to avoid eating meat that might have been sacrificed to an idol, eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. By the way, do we even have this problem today in our churches? How about vaccines? How about music? We could go on and on. A lot of us, because of our understanding of where we are, our upbringing or whatever, see certain things as that's sinful. Well, is it? Does the Bible say it is? Well, don't you think that? And we don't always agree. And the Bible tonight is going to be dealing with how are we to handle this. Remember, God's plan is to bring glory to himself by uniting a diverse group of people who love him and love each other. That's his desire is that he would take people from all over the globe, different languages, different nations, different tribes, different backgrounds, different cultures, and bring them together into a group that even though they don't fully agree with each other on all these issues, they love each other and there's a unity, and that is to bring him glory. So the world will say, this God must be real for this group of people from so many different backgrounds and nation, nationalities to all be united 
in worship of this one God. It brings him glory. Go back to John chapter 13 again, remind you of where we were last week. And John 13, verses 34 and 35. Remember what Jesus said. And John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said this. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Jump over to chapter 17. Chapter 17 of John, verses 20 through 23. Jesus is praying and he says, I don't only ask for these disciples that are mine right here on the earth. I, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I'm in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. So God's desire is that we would be unified even though we all have so many different backgrounds. Now, because of time, if you want to write this down and look at it later on in Revelation 21, verses 22 through 27, in the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, it talks about how the nations are going to come in. Even in eternity, in the eternal state, in the new heaven and the new earth, there's still going to be different nationalities. You know why? Because it brings God glory. My wife and I, uh, many years ago, not that many because it was her 40th, uh, sorry, 50th birthday, and I don't want to tell how many years ago it was, but um, for her 50th birthday, she got a cruise because she's a travel agent and she had passed a course or whatever, and Princess gave her a cruise, which was pretty cool because I told people for my wife's 50th, anniversary, or 50th birthday, she took me on a cruise. It was a 10-day cruise down in the southern part of the Caribbean, and on this ship were so many different nationalities. The whole time we're there, I'm just kind of watching people. And it started to sink in how God is glorified through the different nations. And then it hit me. My wife and I have three kids. And if you've got more than one, you understand, even though they both came from the same set of parents, none of your kids are the same, are they? They're totally different. It's crazy how different. They're raised in the same home by the same parents. And the absolute differences in their mentality, their lifestyle, how they look at the world, you'd think they'd all be carbon copies, but they're not. And it hit me. I'm glad Elise and Nicole and AJ are all different. It actually would be kind of boring if they were all the same. We love the fact that there's a difference. But when they love each other and love us, there's a beauty to that. God wants that for us. So... Don't be surprised if there are people in the church who are different than you and don't see things the same way and haven't come from the same background that you have. God wants us to learn how to love each other in this process that we are all still in of moving into the freedom that we have in Christ. And some of us are further along than others, but that doesn't mean that if I'm further along, I'm to look down on my brother who's not where I am. And if you are not quite there and you see your brother experiencing freedom, you aren't to condemn them and think, well, they're going to hell because they're doing that stuff. We've got to let God take it from there. Since we all come from so many different backgrounds and cultures, it shouldn't surprise you that we'll all grow in our knowledge of the Lord and his word at different rates. 
And as we encourage each other to grow in our love for Jesus and what it means to follow him, we must never forget that God is the one who helps us understand spiritual truth, not us. Don't lose sight of that fact. Go back to Romans 14. Look again at verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. How would you feel if someone else was correcting your kids? What would you say? Not Mike. Those aren't your kids. Those are my kids. And I've got the responsibility of raising them, not you. You got an issue? Come talk to me, and I'll decide whether or not it's something I talk to my kids about. But you don't have that right. Because you're not their parent. You might even be right in what you notice about my kids. But I might not be working on that right now. I might be working on something else. We'll get to that when it's time. All right. So go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's be reminded at the fact that if anybody's going to wake up and come to a knowledge of the truth, it's God who's the one that's going to get them there. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 26. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Look what Paul say, uh, says here to Timothy. Gently instruct and then leave the whether or not they get it to God. When I was a young preacher, I used to tell my wife every Sunday when I'd come home from preaching, I'd say, I wanted to shake them today. Why weren't they getting it? Well, it was because I used to think that if I preached longer or harder or louder, they would sink in. Until I finally realized if you get anything, God opened your eyes, not me. Shaking you ain't going to help. Might hurt more than it helps. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Listen to what the apostle Paul, I mean, he had authority, apostolic authority. Philippians chapter 3, look at verses 12 through 16. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, I'm an apostle and you have to listen to everything I say. Is that what he says? No, he says, if you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul even understood. Look, if you're mature, you'll be living with a hunger for more of Jesus. But if you're not there yet, God's going to be the one who gets you there. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master, he stands or falls, or she stands or falls. 
and they will be fine because the Lord is able to make them stand. You do hopefully believe, Philippians 1, 6, that he began who, who began a good work and you will finish it, right? But you've always applied that to yourself, right? He who began the good work in me will finish it. And it encourages you, doesn't it? Because there are days it doesn't look like we're getting anywhere. But he's promised to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. He's predestined to conform us. He said he would finish. Why don't we believe that he'll finish in the people around us too? Well, I just don't see any growth in their life. That's fine. Your job is to live it, to share the truth, and let God get them there when it's time. Paul then takes our understanding of this topic deeper, though, in the next verses, as he shows that God will not only use our consciences to show us our sin and lostness, he will also use our consciences to teach us how to walk with Jesus by faith. Now, let me read that to you again and say this to you again. Listen closely. Paul's now showing that God will not only use our consciences to show us our sin and lostness, which he already did in chapter 2, and I'll show you that in a second. He also will use our consciences to teach us how to walk with Jesus by faith. Go back to Romans chapter 2 and look at verses 12 through 13. I'm sorry, 12 through 16. Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. You remember way back when we were talking about the gospel and how God's revealed it through creation and he's revealed it through the law. And he's also revealed it through our consciences for all Romans chapter two, verse 12. All who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men in Christ Jesus or by Christ Jesus. So remember what Paul showed us here is that even those people in the world who never heard the law of God, God wrote his law on their hearts. Everyone's born with a sense of right and wrong. Now, what you might consider right and wrong might be different from what I consider right and wrong. But every one of us has a sense of right and wrong. Even murderers in a prison will tell you, I'm a, I might be a bad guy, but... The pedophiles, those are the real bad guys. You know what I'm saying? Everybody has a sense of right and wrong. And as we looked at earlier when we did this part of the study, even though you have a sense of right and wrong that you have in your conscience, have you ever gone against what you in your heart felt was right or wrong? Of course you have. We all have. And God showed them that they're lawbreakers, even though they never had the written law of God, he wrote his law in their hearts. Now listen, God used their conscience to show them their need of a Savior. In the same way now, the Holy Spirit who lives within us is going to use our consciences to teach us how to walk by faith. You're going to have to learn how to let the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, show you what is right and what is wrong in your individual walk with Him as you go. We all want the rules. We just want the preacher to tell us this is approved and this is not approved. I've been dealing as a pastor for years with people that will come and say, Pastor, is this a sin? What if I, only, what if I go here? Is that, I know that's a sin, but what if I get real close? Is that a sin? 
And a couple of things I've asked them over the years. One is this. Why are you trying to see how close to sin can you get? Secondly, if you're saying, is this a sin? Chances are it'll be a sin. Because you don't have your conscience that's clear. If your conscience was clear, you wouldn't come and ask me. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you know by God's word and by faith that it's not sin, you don't need to ask the preacher if it's sin. The fact that you're asking me means your conscience is being pricked a little bit. Years ago when I was pastor in Chicago, I had a lady who come to my office and she said, Pastor, um, I need to ask your opinion on something. And I said, what's that? She said, well, I'm married, but I met this guy at work and he, man, he really makes me happy. And I know God wants me to be happy. So I want to divorce my husband and marry this guy from work. And I go, why are you even here? She goes, I just need you to tell me it's okay. I go, I can't. And you even know it's not okay. But don't you think God wants me happy? I said, what's the Holy Spirit in you telling you? Well, I know it's not what his word says, but is your conscience being pricked a little bit? But go to Romans chapter 14. Look at verses 13 through 23. God's going to use his Holy Spirit and his word and your conscience to teach you how to walk by faith, how to walk in obedience to God, how to recognize the spirit of God is speaking and leading and guiding. In Romans 14, look at verses 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. We'll deal with that more in just a bit. But even though nothing is unclean, it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking or what you do and what you don't do, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But what, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We taught our kids as they were starting to mature. When they were young, we had a bunch of rules because they didn't know right and wrong and didn't know how to recognize the Spirit's guidance. And so they had to be under the law for a period. But as they got older, we no longer wanted to use the law to raise our children because we knew one day they were no longer going to be under our roof. And all of a sudden, mom and dad won't be here watching to see if we're keeping the law. 
And so at the proper time, as each child was moving into adulthood, we began to teach them it's no longer about the rules. It's now about learning to recognize what the Spirit of God is saying in your heart, listening to your conscience, knowing what God's Word says, and letting Him speak to you. He lives within you, and we want you to learn how to be guided by Him. And there are going to be times as you get older that you're going to make decisions that we don't agree with. But as long as it doesn't contradict the word of God and you can look me in the eye and say you have a peace from God about it, because one day you'll stand before God for everything you say God said. We'll support you because it's more important that you walk with the Lord than you follow our rules. By the way, some of you that are grandparents, you're going to have to remember that because your kids might not raise your grandkids the way you think they should be raising your grandkids. Is what they're doing sin? Well, I think it is. Well, do they? Do you see what I'm saying? We got to learn how to teach people how to recognize the leadership of the Spirit. And God wants everyone to learn how to follow Him. And anything that's not done by faith, it's sin. That's why for some, if you think it's a sin to go to Disney, you better not go to Disney. But if you think it's okay and you have freedom to do so, go for it. But be careful how you judge each other in the process. Those that feel comfortable, don't belittle those who don't. And those who don't, don't you condemn those who do. Because God's wanting us to walk in the freedom that we have in Christ. Yet, we've got to be wise. Did you all notice in here that Paul was saying, I know that everything is clean, yet... For the person that thinks it's unclean, it would be unclean for them to do it. But then he goes on and he says, don't let what you think is clean be spoken of as evil. How do you live that life of knowing what the freedom you have in Christ, yet at the same time being considerate of your brother and your sister in such a way that you live your life? Well, even the mature, the strong are going to have to learn how to be led of the spirit in each instance. When do you do this and when do you not? See, we just want a set of rules. We just want, just tell me what I'm to do. And God says, no, I want to do that. I want to be the one to show you how to listen to me. And in this instance, I may say it's okay. In this instance, I may say not. I'm going to be honest with you. And I know that being honest might open me up to people's judgment, but hopefully you'll listen to this lesson and not judge me. But when this whole vaccine thing came out and there were so many different opinions, and trust me, there were plenty of people that wanted to share with me their opinion. You probably had the same issue. At the beginning, we felt like the Holy Spirit was telling us to hold off, not mainly because it was wrong or anything like that. No, but because there were those, remember how people were lining up and you couldn't get them and people were freaking out? And we felt comfortable that God was going to take care of us. Yet there came a point down the road where we're about to go on a traveling time in the midst of it in 2020 that the Holy Spirit told Becky and I, I want you to get a vaccine now, not because you need it as much as you're going to go places where people are going to go, are you vaccinated? And we can say, yes, we are. And they say, oh, you can come speak because they wouldn't be comfortable with us coming in unless we had been circumcised, if you will. You understand what I'm saying? It's one of those deals where Paul said, listen, if you think you need to be circumcised to be saved, and if anybody's telling you you need to be circumcised to be saved, don't listen to that person because it's tied to salvation and that's false teaching. Yet that same Paul that said, don't you dare be circumcised in order to be saved was the one who had 
one of his little helpers there circumcised so he could go in and teach, preach to the Jews. Well, which is it? The answer is, if you're doing it in order to be righteous before God, don't do it. Yet, there may be a time that God says, for the sake of your brother, do it. And you need to learn how to be listening to the Spirit. Now, at the same time, those of us who are more mature, not only do we need to be learning to listen to when the Spirit is saying do or don't, we also, for those of us who aren't there yet, who are the weaker, we should not also sit there saying, Lord, I'm where I'm supposed to be the rest of my life. No, he's wanting you to learn how to continue to listen to him as well. He may set you free from something that right now you think is sin, but later on you might not. But for now, if you don't think that God's allowed you, you better not do it. And that's why this whole process is a learning process. Even though Paul knew from the Lord, look again at verse 14. Paul said, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Are we made unclean by what we do? No. Uncleanness comes from our hearts, comes from what's within. That's what makes us unclean. What we do or don't do, what we eat or don't eat, or what we drink or don't drink. The Bible's very clear. That stuff doesn't make you unclean. Where you go or don't go, that doesn't make you unclean. God's looking at our hearts. Righteousness in Jesus is not determined by what we do or don't do, but by faith in Jesus' provision for our sin. Go to Mark chapter 7. This is going to be very important for us in just a little bit. So I want you to make sure you know where this is. And this might be a, a valuable place for you to highlight in your Bible, because you're going to see this topic come, a lot, come up a lot in your conversations with people at times. In Mark chapter 7, look at verses 14 through 23. And he, this is Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people... His disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? By the way, do I need to explain to you what he just said? We don't need potty talk, right? All right. Thus, look closely here. Thus he, this is Jesus, declared all foods clean. Remember all the Old Testament laws about what was clean and what wasn't clean? At this point, Jesus now declares all foods clean. That's going to be important in a little bit. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 5. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you see a capital S there. The Holy Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Did you catch that? They've walked in disobedience so long, they've 
seared their consciences, and their consciences aren't even sensitive to the Spirit and God's Word anymore. Boy, you don't want to ever get to that point. You don't want to ever get to the point where you get good at tuning out the Holy Spirit and your conscience when it's telling you don't go here, and you do it anyway. There comes a point where you get real good at tuning Him out, and your conscience becomes seared. You don't want to end up there. So if you're still being convicted by the Spirit, thank God for it. But at the same time, don't keep doing it. To the, whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Do you see that? Yet there are some people that still say, if you do this or you eat this or you drink that, you're in trouble. No, everything's clean. But listen, if it is unclean for you, you better not do it because so-and-so said it was okay. You only move into that freedom if you feel like God's released you and given you the peace. But there are also going to be those, he said, in the latter times, they're going to forbid marriage and teach abstaining from certain foods. Some of you probably in this room or those that are listening right now online were probably raised that on a certain day called Friday, you weren't allowed to eat meat. And that was being taught by the church. And that certain people weren't allowed to get married. Even though the Bible says, watch out for that kind of teaching. But that's how I was raised. That's what I was taught. And some of you might even still struggle with having something besides fish on Friday if that's how you were raised. And guess what? The Bible clearly says that nothing that you take in is going to make you unclean. It's what's already in there is what makes you unclean. Now, we've got to be careful at the same time because the Bible says our eyes are the lamp of the body. And if you keep bringing in garbage, you're not, don't be surprised if garbage doesn't start coming out of your heart. But I would be sinning to go a step further and tell you what level of rating on a movie you're allowed to see and what ones you're not. Some of you might be free enough to watch an R-rated. Oh, I'm meddling now, aren't I? But some of you may not. And you need to know what the Spirit of God's telling you. And you've got to be careful you don't judge your brother or look down on your brother or your sister. It's a tough one, isn't it? But Jim, don't you think that it would be better if we would avoid these things? Now we're going with human reasoning. Instead of the Holy Spirit speaking to each of us using his word. Go to Colossians chapter 2. I sure wish I had read my Bible a little bit better when I was a young kid. Because I remember being told that Sunday was the Sabbath. And I wasn't allowed to play outdoors on Sunday. We could only play indoors after church. And it had to be a board game that was quiet. So we could play Monopoly, but you couldn't play Pit. Because Pit was a lot of screaming and yelling and banging the bell. We also weren't allowed to read the Sunday funnies until after church. Now, the Sunday funnies were the best ones. Those were in color. And some of the squares were big. Do you remember the Sunday funnies? Kids nowadays don't know what they've missed. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 16 through 23. Therefore... Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a what? Or a Sabbath. 
These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, that's avoiding things, and worship of angels going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that's from God. If with Christ... You died to the elemental spirits of the world or the principles of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." And if you know chapter 3, Paul then goes on and says, put your mind where? On things above. Learn how to walk with Jesus. Learn how to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. And there's going to be lots of people, preachers included, who are going to come and tell you specifically what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. And I'm going to say to you, that's God's job and that's the Holy Spirit's job. Remember how the Bible said and the law of God said, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy? And then the Pharisees came and they added 300 more laws that explained how to keep it holy. You're not allowed to do this and you're not allowed to carry this much and you have to tie a knot that only can be untied by one hand and all these different things that they came up with. I'm serious. If you ever take the time to go read some of those, it's crazy. But we've done that to each other as well. A good Christian won't do these things and will do these things. And we've never been taught how to walk in the spirit and be led of the spirit. But Jim, if you give people that kind of freedom, they'll abuse it. They might, but we've got a big God who can handle that. And if he lives within you, you'll recognize when he's saying, you know what, this isn't for you. Or for a season, I might want you to just kind of hold off on this until you learn how to control the flesh and let me control the flesh. And this is a process that we have to trust that God is able. There's a section in Romans 14 we didn't take the time to read. But you remember how Paul quotes from the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah? Every knee will bow to who? To God. And every one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And one day you're going to stand before God and he's going to judge you. Not for whether or not you get into heaven. If you're saved, he's already sealed you and you're, you're his. But Everything that we do after salvation, he's going to either reward us or we're going to lose reward. And he's going to hold us accountable for the things that he showed us and taught us. And you can't take that time and say, but Jesus, I was busy telling everybody else how to live. What about you? What was I telling you to do? Well, to be honest with you, Lord, I was just kind of more interested in making sure everybody else was doing it. That's not going to fly, is it? You're going to be held accountable for what he's been showing you. And... If it isn't by faith, you don't have a peace about it, you better not go there. Oh, but just because God's made you at this point not comfortable doesn't mean that somebody else can't be. There's different levels. And God knows what we can handle. You all ever had kids that one had an older or a later curfew than another? No, they've all got to have the same. No, no, no. When we raised our kids... If they proved mature enough to handle a later curfew, they got a later curfew. But the ones that we couldn't trust, couldn't handle the later curfew, had an earlier curfew. Because you probably do know the later it gets, the more bad stuff happens. But there were those who could handle it 
And they were given a little later curfews than the ones who couldn't handle it. And God knows who his, who his children are, and he knows what we can handle. Go to Acts chapter 10 real quick. Not every new believer fully understood what we've been looking at right away, and many still struggled with moving into the freedom that we have in Christ through faith, even Peter. Acts chapter 10, look at starting in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, that's noon, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being lit down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask you, why then you sent for me? Now listen, Peter's on this roof and he has this vision of all these animals that the law of God said were not to be eaten. And God says, rise, kill and eat. Peter says, "By no, no way, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God said, what I've called clean, don't call unclean. And I've heard too many preachers say, this is the first time God declared all foods clean in Acts 10. Is this the first time God declared all foods clean? No, Jesus had declared it earlier in Mark chapter 7. Peter was still hanging on to some of the old law, wasn't he? Even though he had been given freedom in Christ, he didn't know it yet. And God was teaching him. Who was teaching him, by the way, that, about this freedom he had in Christ? It was God. It wasn't some other brother that came and said, hey, eat whatever you want. No, no, no. You only go there when the Spirit of God and the Word of God come together and tell you it's okay. You don't do it because Jim said it's okay. That's why Paul said, even though I am convinced in the Lord that everything's unclean, I'm not saying everybody's free to eat whatever they want and drink whatever they want. If it's unclean, in your mind, it is unclean. Because you're not doing it by faith. You understand? 
Oh, by the way, he then says this. He said, uh, you know how it's unlawful for us Jews to go into a Gentile's house. By the way, was that in the law of God? No, that was one of those man-made laws that had been added. God had told them to stay pure in the fact that he wanted them to not intermarry with other nations so he would keep the nation of Israel so the Messiah would come and all this stuff. And he was teaching other things we don't have time to get into. And they added man-made laws and said, you don't even go in the house. You don't even touch anything they've touched. That's why if they ever went into the marketplace, they had to do this ceremonial washing in case they had touched some Gentile thing that had been touched by a Gentile. And he had been set free. But if you know anything about Peter's story, now that God opened his eyes to the fact that he was free to go into a Gentile house and eat with a Gentile, later on in his story, after been eating with them, some people from the Jerusalem church came down and he started acting like he never ate with those people. And Paul had to kind of get on him a little bit, didn't he? So even Peter was in the process of moving from the old way into the new way. All of us are going to be. If Peter would be, so are you and I. And we have to understand the people around us are going to be that way. And we need to learn ourselves individually, slowly, as the Spirit of God works on us in different areas, learn how to move into that freedom. And not just say, well, I'm free now to do it all the time. No, no, no. If God's brought you into that freedom, He's going to show you other times, even though you're free, I want you to make yourself as though you're not. And then what Paul said, I became all things to all people that I might win some. Even though I'm not, I'm free from the law, I acted as if someone under the law for the sake of sharing the gospel with those people. In the same way, those of us who are mature need to learn how to listen to the Spirit of God, show us how to live in each and every situation. We who are strong or mature need to be patient with the weak in these areas and make sure we're not telling them to go against their conscience. Go to chapter 15 of Romans. We're going to start drawing this to a close here in the last eight minutes that we have. So buckle up. Here we go. All right. In Romans 15, look at verses 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction and through the encouragement, sorry, endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So here he says, those who are more mature... You need to be patient with those who aren't. And we already saw in chapter 14 in the beginning, those who aren't there yet don't make judgments about those who feel a little more freedom in some of these areas. Again, what the Bible calls sin is still sin. But there's a lot of other stuff that may or may not be. But some of you think it is. That's fine. Don't do it. But be listening to the Spirit. Because I had a lady asking last night's study, Jim, we're to be sharing truth with each other and we're to do it gently like you shared and letting God do it. But when do we tell people then? So we don't come across as you got to do it what I'm saying. And this is about my answer to her and to you as, as well, if this is your question. 
there are going to be times you're going to be in a Bible study and you're going to be teaching the Word of God about the freedom that we have in Christ. Let the Holy Spirit take it from there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't be afraid to talk about the freedom we have in Christ, but don't now say, hey, go do this now because you're free. Go do that now because you're free. That's where you would be moving into sin. Let the Spirit take it from there and what that freedom means for them. Secondly, there are going to be times when people might even come and ask you, how come you can... That's another opportunity when the Spirit shows you how to share with them. I'm here because of this, but you better not do it unless you get there because of the Spirit and the Word of God, not because I'm doing it. Do you understand this balance? To not let what we believe is right, to be spoken of as evil, yet at the same time live in such a gentle way that we don't just flaunt our freedom. Now, we must also, though, we must also speak up if people are teaching that outward actions are what saves us, we must speak up. Go to Titus chapter 1. Now, as you're turning to Titus chapter 1, and you're, if you're taking notes, I really, 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 really need you to write down a couple of passages that I didn't have time to get into tonight that I want you to go back and look at that deal with not causing someone to go against their conscience. Go to, later on, go look at 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13, and 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 32. That's 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13, and 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 32. But listen to Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. It says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences, there it is again, are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Paul's telling Titus now, as you go and you start to lead people to the truth and teach people from the truth from the Word, you're going to find people that want to be teachers who are going to teach things that aren't biblical, and they're going to say, that's the only way you can be saved because you got to what by what you do, you need to speak up. Don't let that happen. Now, when it comes to living out our Christian life, there are going to be times that God's going to say, just be quiet, let them, leave them alone. But you need to understand the difference. In Galatians chapter 5, for the sake of time, we won't have you turn there, verses 7 through 12, Paul's dealing with those who were teaching that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And he says this, he said, those people need to go cut the whole thing off. In other words, if they think they get points... Or they get credit with God by being circumcised? Why don't they go for full credit? And he says, let them be damned. So again, if someone's teaching outward actions in order to be saved, speak up. People need to hear that truth. But now after we're saved, let God be the one who controls everyone else on how to live the Christian life. 
We're to share what the Bible says about saying no to sexuality, sexual sin and, and sensuality and not being gluttons or drunkards and all that. But we have to be careful that we don't then step over the line and say, if you eat these things, it's wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm going to tell you, some of you might need to get rid of your Facebook accounts so you don't fall into sin. Because I deal with too many people that are attacking each other in the church because they will write on a Facebook, I can't believe that lady would let her daughter wear that. You become the judge of your brother when the Holy Spirit's supposed to be the one convicting them of what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. But the Bible says that we're to live purely. Yes, let the Holy Spirit show them what that means. Do you understand the difference? This is how we'll be easier to get along with. The world will see us in unity, even though we don't agree. Years ago, I was pastor of a church in Chicago, and there was a lady who was a pastor of another church in the area who would come to me for counsel. Biblically, I do not believe the Bible teaches that women can be pastors. I believe, by the way, the Bible teaches that women can teach in the church and preach in the church. 1 Corinthians 11 says that when, when a woman prophesies in church, she needs to do it with her head covered. In other words, under the authority of the men who are in the church and they've given her permission. When, if she's prophesying in church, it thinks, uh, the Bible says a woman can teach and preach in church. But the Bible's clear that a woman is not to have that role of authority over men. But you know what? It wasn't my place to tell this woman, you shouldn't be in the ministry Whose job is that? The Holy Spirit's. I believe she knew the Lord. And so she would meet with me regularly for counsel on how to shepherd her congregation. And I would share with her God's truth. Even though personally, I didn't agree. But is it my job to tell her whether she's supposed to be in the ministry or not? No, that's the Holy Spirit's job. I wish I had time to tell you a cool story that happened in, in Thailand along that line. But let me just say this to you. Once we've been saved by faith alone, as we encourage each other to grow, let's teach them to hear from Jesus through his spirit in them as it lines up with his word. And let's trust that God is able to get them there as he is with all us as well. And listen, this is how we're going to close tonight. Let's do this patiently. In 1 Timothy 4, sorry, 2 Timothy 4, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word rebuke, encourage, reprove with complete patience. We're to be willing to share when God tells us, but we're to be patient whether they understand it or not. That's God's job. And this all started with last chapter when Paul was saying that we're to love one another, correct? With brotherly affection. And we're out to outdo one another in brotherly affection and love. Do y'all remember 1 Corinthians 13 when Paul describes love? What's the first thing he said love was? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. It doesn't insist on its own way. It bears all things. Endures all things. Do you, do you, do you see what I'm saying? Does that sound like the church today? No, it's time that we go back to letting the Holy Spirit show us how to love each other and what that gentleness is going to look like in each situation. We're to correct at times, but when the Spirit tells us, and we're to do it gently and patiently. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.